0: can be followed on page 569 in the Old Testament section of the Pew Bibles. It's taken from Psalm 79 verses 1 to 9. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. The second reading can be followed on page 84 in the New Testament section and is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The parable of the dishonest manager. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, "'A hundred jugs of olive oil.' "'He said to him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. "'Then he asked another, "'And how much do you owe?' "'He replied, "'A hundred containers of wheat.' "'He said to him, "'Take your bill and make it eighty. "'And his master commended the dishonest manager "'because he had acted shrewdly. "'For the children of this age,' are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with a dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Rosemary. I'm not surprised Helen is going. She heard the sermon this morning at 8 o'clock And she's got to listen to it again at 11 o'clock at St. George's. So um, she's going to lead at St. George's. That's, I think, the main reason why she's going. Um, Nikki Gumbel always said, may we pray. Do you remember? So may we pray. Oh, gracious Lord, I pray now that you will open your word to our hearts and minds and that you really open our hearts and minds to receive that word and respond to it. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Rosemary's just read there the parable of the dishonest, dishonest manager. Did you understand it? What did you pick out anything from from that reading and thought, wow, what was that about? Or did it go over your heads? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I'd ever spend time looking at that parable. I, I couldn't even remember having read it. And I must say that when I saw the rotor for the coming uh, few weeks, when Ian was going to be on holiday, uh, and I saw that I had to preach on this particular passage I said to him, I not you quote precisely what I said but I said you so and so you're going away and landing me with having to sort that out you see part of the reason why I really felt that is the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16 is considered by many to be the most difficult to understand and to interpret and indeed what about preaching on it In the last um, 10 days, uh, fortnight, I've spent time reading commentaries by Matthew Henry, by William MacDonald, Michael Wilcock in The Bible Speaks Today, Leon Morris, and I've googled the comments of several other eminent theologians. And I've received such a, a mixture of things that have come back. Uh, on that and how to interpret and understand it all. And in, in the end, I've, I've really sought the Lord's guidance and I've said to him, Lord, what do you really want me to major on through and in and through that word uh, th- this coming Sunday? In other words, this morning. And there's one word, one thing that really has come out over and over again as, uh, as I've sought the Lord's guidance over this. So let's see how we get on. Here we are. In chapter 15, uh, the chapter before the one that we've just looked at, Jesus has told us about the prodigal son who's squandered, literally squandered his money and his possessions, and how in the end he just comes to his senses and returns home to that loving and forgiving father, who welcomes him warmly. A lovely picture of our heavenly dad. And now in chapter 16, Jesus tells us about another person, another one, who has behaved very unwisely. Uh, The um, manager who has squandered, hear the word again, who squandered his master's possessions and he's been sort of fiddling the accounts in some sort of dishonest way. It's interesting that we're not told exactly how he fiddled the the accounts but that he was dishonest. As a result of this the master fires the manager who who again, interestingly enough, doesn't seek to defend himself in any way but accepts the sacking but is immediately aware of the difficulties that he now faces. And he tells us that he does not have the strength to go around and dig, you know, a a job of a laborer doesn't have that strength. And he's too ashamed, too proud to beg. Instead, and I'm reading here from verse four, this is what he says. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Oh, he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. By the way, people often paid in kind in those days, not in, not in cash. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50 He replied, hmm. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. Now notice the next line. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Well, we're not told how the bills could be reduced in this sort of way, but it's generally considered, and this is after delving into m- much of this and seeking the Lord about it, it's generally considered that the manager gave up what he would normally have received. In other words, he forfeited his commission. That seems to be the clearest explanation. However, I must add, I'm a bit like Mark Twain, who said, I'm not bothered by the things that I don't fully understand. I'm far more bothered and concerned by what I do understand. But let's be clear that the master is not commending his manager for his initial dishonesty, but he's commending him for the wise and shrewd plans that he's making for the future You see the manager is making friends, he's making friends by reducing their bill and in a way making them indebted to him. And if you look at verses 8 and 9, he's preparing for his future and that of his friends, moreover for his and their eternal future. what can we take from from all of this what can we take from all of this for us you know I believe it's very much a reminder of how we should be strategic and godly with our money how we use our possessions how we use our talents how we use our time and then ask that question am I using them in God's way To further his kingdom in my own life and in the lives of others. You ask yourself that question. Am I using all that I have, my life, my gifts, my time, myself, my money, am I using them in God's way to further his kingdom in my own life and in the lives of others? okay point 1 then very powerfully jesus ends his section in verse 3 with the words so in verse 13 with the words no slave can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and wealth I looked at the uh, authorized version and it says there you cannot serve God and mammon I looked at the New Living Translation you cannot serve God and money interesting isn't it that everyone every version says you cannot serve both it doesn't say you shouldn't it says you cannot Very forcefully, you cannot serve God and wealth, money. And you know, the experience of many is how money can easily and has easily taken God's place in their life and how it has become their master. It was Paul when writing to Timothy who said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Many who have craved money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Do you know, as I was preparing and and, and looking to see how to deal with all of this, I wonder, you know, if we are in any way, I can't speak for you, I speak for myself. I wonder if we are in any way slaves to money. And and, and how can we tell? Do we think about it and worry about it frequently? Do we give up doing what we know we should do or would like to do in order to make more money or to save money? Do we spend excessive time uh, caring for our possessions? Do we find it hard to give money away? And what about our use of money you know our use of money is a good test of the Lordship of Christ in our lives is he Lord of our money as well how many times have I heard the words when the offering has been received all things come from you O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Do we believe that? Do you truly believe that? Because if you do, we're really saying that the money that we have belongs to God and that we are simply stewards of it. And of course, do we use that money, or at least some of it, of which we are stewards in the way God has indicated so clearly? in his word. Think for a moment of the many examples that we have in the Gospels. Just think about that Samaritan who stopped at the wayside to help a Jew. He took him to the inn, he paid for his care, and he virtually left an open cheque saying when I come back next time for any more expense I'll pay. What about the rich young ruler who virtually worshipped money? was his God wasn't it Jesus said hey no got to get rid of it and give it to the poor what about the countless references to how we are to care for the widows to care for the poor to care for the orphans yes we may know all of this may they be reminders to all of us once again that this is how God wants us to live how he wants us to act, how to behave, how to use our money and our possessions. Yes, you see, having asked God repeatedly about what to major on from these 13 verses in chapter 16, it was the whole question of money and how we use it that came to the fore over and over and over again. And interestingly enough, on Monday morning, uh, when I woke up, I had this very, very vivid picture of Vijay Menon. Anybody know Vijay Menon? Vijay Menon preached here some 40 years ago. And this picture of Vijay Menon just came to me as I woke up on Monday morning. And his sermon of over 40 years ago just flooded back into my mind. And I believe it was very much something from the Lord, something for me to share with you now as the main part of that message from Vijay, which was on money. See, Vijay grew up as a, as a Hindu, and he came to faith in Christ through the ministry of St. Helens, Bishop's Gate. He told a wonderful story of how he was going past uh, one lunchtime, and he saw a notice saying, come and stay for lunch, and he walked in, and he saw... He had a lovely Hindu... He hadn't lost his accent at all. And he saw, oh, I see all this lovely nosh. And, and I go in, and, and, and it's free, and I help myself. Oh, lovely, he said. But they had to go through into another room with their food. And there was a talk. And it was a gospel talk. And this was the beginning of his turning to Christ in faith, he grew up and was nurtured by St. Helen's Bishop's Gate, and he became a very um, devoted and obedient uh, disciple. And he was a very active member of his local church in Essex, giving, as he said, really generously, to the life and ministry of the church. When one Sunday morning, he heard a sermon based on Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And I quote, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You're robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Well, Vijay was deeply moved and he realized that he totally ignored uh, God's very clear and precise guidelines about tithing, about giving one-tenth of his income into the church's funds back at home he discussed the matter with his wife and he worked out that he was robbing God on average by 600 pounds a year realistically and sadly they saw that they couldn't give more what with school fees with mortgage repayments with other basic commitments but they prayed together and they asked God to help them find that extra six hundred pounds so that they could give their tithe 10 days later his boss sent for him he was working at the time for Lloyd's underwriters and he explained that there'd been a board meeting And that Vijay was one of three on the staff who'd been promoted and that he would receive a salary increase of £660. Vijay was overjoyed. Wow, God was so good. And there was an extra £60 for him. When he told his wife, she quickly added, That God's heavenly mathematics were far better than his. If he was earning an extra 600 pounds, then his tithe had gone up by another 60. You know, that day Vijay saw how when we honor God in detail and in obedience, he honors us and is never in our debt bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down an overflowing blessing. And Vijay spoke about how foolish we are when we choose to ignore what God has told us and we choose to ignore it when it doesn't suit us or we think it doesn't matter that much. And he then added how good God had abundantly provided for him and his family since that day when he'd become obedient to that tithing and that God had fulfilled his promises in abundance. And he added how he rejoices in his name, VJ, V I J A Y, victory. In Jesus, always yours. Victory in Jesus, not victory in money. I will stop there. In the light of what we've been thinking about, can I just leave you with two questions? How wisely am I stewarding the money that God has entrusted me with? How wisely am I stewarding the money that God has entrusted me with? And how much am I contributing to the building of God's kingdom? Not just in money, but in time, in our talents, in our gifts. shall I pray Um, I was just struck by a verse the last verse of one of Tim Dudley Smith's hymns uh, the hymn Lord for the Years the final verse let's pray it O Lord for ourselves in living power remake us self on the cross and Christ upon the throne Past, put behind us, but for the future, take us, O Lord of our lives, to live for Christ alone.
0: Amen.